Good morning. This morning you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel in chapter 9. Yeah, you see that? The book of Daniel in chapter 9. Well, what I'm most taken by, and we're still recording over there, right Juan? We're good, everything's working, good. What I'm most taken by in Daniel chapter 9 is the heart of Daniel. Because for someone who was traumatized at a young age, and I say traumatized because he was taken out of his country, taken into captivity, taken prisoner, his life was threatened on multiple occasions. I think we all know that by now. He was living in a world that was filled with idolatry and wickedness. He was was living in a world that you and I would never choose to live in. And yet with all the trauma in his life, he, rather than becoming bitter... And turning his back on God, he served God more faithfully than anyone else at that time, really. So what is it about a person that they go through trauma, they go through difficulty, and they don't become bitter, they become better? I've thought a lot about that because we've all experienced some degree of trials and tribulations and trauma in our lives. We, we all have. There are things that have happened in our lives that we wish didn't. And there are things that have happened that we sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe even blame God for. I know that maybe our minds know that's not right, but our hearts seem to think differently. Many times we feel that if God was loving, he wouldn't have allowed the things that have happened to happen. That's a very normal and human reaction to trauma. So this morning, I want us to look at this prayer. We're just going to look at the first 19 verses of chapter 9. We'll we'll go into the rest of the prophecy next week. And I want us to really look into the heart of Daniel and ask ourselves the questions. Would we be able to, under these circumstances, pray in faith? Lord, Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us this morning. We thank you for bringing our power back to full, uh, full force today as we look forward to worshiping and fellowshipping together and being in your word. I thank you for every heart that's here and for those that have experienced trauma and difficulty and tragedy recently in their lives or even just over the years. I pray that this morning's message would be especially helpful in reaching their hearts, reaching our hearts, and helping us to be the people that you've called us to be for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start by reading the portion of scripture we'll spend the most time in, just the first three verses, actually, of Daniel chapter 9. We read that in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. We immediately see that Daniel's response and reaction to 70 years of captivity is to read the scriptures and pray in faith. To read the scriptures and pray in faith. Here's the problem. If you are a bitter person as a Christian, more than likely there's two things you're not doing consistently. You're not reading the scriptures and you're not praying in faith. 
And I would say for anyone going through a difficult time, that those are the two things that will keep you in the love of God. That is, in the place where God can reach you with his word. If you allow yourself to be separated from God, that is, separated from his word and separated from him in prayer, you will become bitter. And you will start to make all kinds of excuses for why God isn't good to you. And I find that many times Christians during times of trial, like things we're going through in our nation today, oftentimes become very negative. And they don't tend to have an attitude of faith because they're focused on the things that are going on around them and not on the scriptures and in prayer. Daniel, in the midst of a trial, in a nation far worse than our nation is at the moment, was able to, because he was reading the scriptures and praying, come to a place of faith and blessing. Come to a place where God could speak to him and reveal to him his heart. And that's what we all want, but it isn't rocket science. It is simple. He was in the word. He was in prayer. Now, Daniel had been in captivity almost 67 years. By the first year of Darius the Medes' reign over Babylon, it's about 539 B.C. And here he is praying, according to the scriptures, that the Lord would forgive Israel and restore Jerusalem. He hasn't given up hope. I think what happens is, and, I, and I've heard this said before, you can live about 40 days without food, about six days without water, about three minutes without air, but not one second without hope. We need to have our hope in Christ if we're going to function properly, if we're going to go through this life without being overcome by negativity. And I think what happened here in the midst of 67 years, that's a long time, this man was consistent. And because he was consistent, he was able to keep his eye on God's promises and God's word and continue to pray for them, as we'll see, as we've seen. And uh, we saw this in, in Daniel chapter 6, three times a day praying for God to work out his promises in the lives of his people. Now, Babylon had recently been conquered by the Medes and the Persians in fulfillment of several prophecies of which we have studied even recently. For example, the, the prophecy of the Nebuchadnezzar statue, the one that he had in his dream, the, the chest and the arms of silver represented Medo-Persia in Daniel chapter 2. Then recently we looked at the beast that looked like a bear in Daniel's dream in Daniel 7. And then even just last week, the prophecy of a ram with two long horns in Daniel's vision in Daniel 8 spoke of Medo-Persia. He has received prophecy upon prophecy telling him that this would happen, and indeed it did even just the same year that this chapter is written. Now, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon at that time, was slain. Darius the Mede became king of Babylon, we were told in chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, at about the age of 62. So, <laughs> Daniel has been in Babylon longer than this man has been alive. Five years longer, right? So, this is a long time to, to remain hopeful. This is a long time to continue to trust God by faith. And I see Christians wearing out like two years into this White House administration. It's kind of sad, really, when you think about it. Wearing out and giving up hope. You know, there's, there's Christians who, every time something doesn't go their way, think that the apocalypse is right around the corner. If I thought that way, it would have happened in 1979. Some of you weren't around then. Or it might have happened earlier or later. There have been things that have happened. 9-11. There have been things that have happened in our world that caused people to just give up hope. 
and no longer trust God. I haven't stopped trusting God for our nation and our culture just because these last two years have been difficult. Please don't give up hope. Trust in God and stay in his word. Amen? Now let's talk a little bit about Darius the Mede. He was appointed ruler of Babylon under Cyrus the Great, who was a Persian king. Darius was a Mede. The Medo-Persian Empire was an alliance of the Medes and the Persians. Today we would call them the, the Kurds and the Iranians. Uh, but that, that time they were referred to as the Medes and the Persians. Now in 559 BC, Persia rode, rose to power under Cyrus the Great. And this is one of the most amazing prophecies in Scripture. Isaiah the prophet predicted Cyrus by name. That took place 150 years earlier. By name. And I encourage you to read it for yourself, Isaiah 44, verse 28, and Isaiah 45, verse 1. Isaiah predicts that this man would be used by God, a pagan king, and his name would be Cyrus. That, that, you know, that's difficult to dispute. And, and here's the thing. Those that despise God's word and reject it as the word of God have no choice but to say, oh, well, that part of Isaiah was written later on. They backfilled it. Except that's really, really hard to pull off, okay? Especially when those scriptures were being copied over and over again by the Jews. Now, his father, that is Darius's father, Cambyses the first, excuse me, Cyrus's father, Cambyses the first, was a vassal king under Cyrus's grandfather, Astyages the Mede. They were a, a, a kingdoms. They were kingdoms that were they were intermarried, and the ruling class was either or Medan or Persian. So this kingdom is talked a lot about so that when it actually happened, Daniel was prepared to respond. See, that's why the future was predicted, so that Daniel could respond properly. And that is why we know about the end times. That is why we know there will be an apocalypse. That is why we know that Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead, so that we can respond properly. And I would suggest that becoming bitter is an improper response to God's word. Well, after Cyrus's father's death, he consolidated Persia, and he decided to plot Media's downfall. He wanted to take over, and we see that in the prophecies that Persia emerged dominant over Media. And that's exactly what happened. And in 550 BC, Cyrus conquered Media by allying with a man by the name of Nabonidus. He was the father of Belshazzar, and he was the king, the high king of Babylon. So you see what happens here is uh, the Persians align with the Babylonians, to take out the Medes. It's politics at its worst, or best, if you like. And then in 539, Cyrus conquers Babylon with the help of Cyaxares II, who is a Mede. So politics at work here, and ultimately Cyrus the Great becomes the ruling emperor of the world at that time. Now his uncle who helped him, it was actually his uncle, Cyaxares II, was a vassal king. He was the last Median king under Cyrus the Great. He was about 62 years old when Media Persia conquered Babylon. So history tells us that this, more than likely, was the man that the Bible refers to as Darius the Mede, who co-reigned with Cyrus. So history lines up right alongside what the Bible tells us about these rulers. Now, the names are not the same because they're different languages, and, and that's translated differently, but Darius the Mede is for all intents and purposes, the same age and the same person. So all of that is to say that Darius, and we saw this in in Daniel chapter 6, made very few changes to the existing government after the fall of Babylon. In fact, he had conquered the city without a fight by winning the support of the people in advance. He appointed 
120 government officials as satraps to rule throughout the now-conquered kingdom. This is the political background of where Daniel finds himself at this time. He also appointed three administrators to whom 120 satraps were accountable, and Daniel was one of these three administrators in a very influential position within the kingdom. So after many years, Daniel is now in the place of influence that he had been before, maybe 23 years earlier. Daniel was to be promoted by Darius. We know this from Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Darius planned to promote Daniel to the position of prime minister of Babylon, really the number two position in that city. Now, Daniel, throughout his career, throughout those almost 70 years, had served as a king's counselor, provincial ruler of Babylon, and as chief of the Magi. The Magi we're familiar with because they show up in Matthew's gospel when Christ is born. But he was the chief of the Magi. Now we know where they got all their information about the star and about when the Christ would be born. Well, Daniel had only very recently returned to this position of influence and power in Babylon. He's about 80 to 90 years old at this point, having lived in obscurity after Nebuchadnezzar's death, again, about 23 years earlier. Now, he seems to have been serving in government at some lower position, but he was appointed prime minister of Babylon on the very night that the city fell to the Medo-Persians. We saw this in Daniel 5. It's kind of a little bit of a recap of some of our studies But he didn't actually have the opportunity to serve as prime minister for more than a few hours when the kingdom was taken over by the Medes and the Persians. But now, Darius planned to honor Daniel's appointment by Belshazzar based solely on his outstanding ability. Having just gotten to know the man, he could see this this is the guy you want in that position. So you see, Daniel, even at the age that he was at, between 80 and 90, after spending almost 70 years as a prisoner, in a sense, being taken into captivity... Was, was so outstanding that even at that age, he was recognized for his outstanding abilities. This is what being faithful to God will do in your life. Staying in God's word, staying in prayer, remaining faithful to God, remaining positive because you trust God, will bring outstanding results in your character. And people will see it. But the reverse is also true. If you give yourself over to negativity and complaining and worrying and, oh, woe is me, and oh, I was traumatized in my youth and therefore I can't get past it. If that's your life, then, then no one's going to look at you and say, wow, what an outstanding person. She's outstanding. He's outstanding. They're going to say, you know what? They stand out, but for the wrong reasons. I don't want to be around a person like that. Have you ever been around a person, and I hope you're not this person, who's just, oh, no, here comes Debbie Downer. You know, the, the sky could be sunny, it could be wonderful, and they're like, yeah, it looks like rain. Things could be going well. You can say, yeah, but for how long? No one wants to be around a person like that. Daniel was not a person like that. He actually understood from the scriptures that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. He understood that. How did he know that? From another prophet. It's interesting. God didn't necessarily reveal that to Daniel directly. He revealed it to Daniel through another prophet, the prophet Jeremiah. And by the way, All that we're reading about in this chapter actually transpired or took place after the events recorded in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, which I've just been recapping. 
But it happened before Daniel went into the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. So somewhere in the middle of that chapter and the events that are recorded, Daniel receives a vision, but right now he hasn't received the vision yet. He's just praying. And I think any given day, on any given month, in any given year, you would have found Daniel praying. Because that's what Daniel did. He prayed. We know from the rest of Daniel 6, he prayed three times a day toward Jerusalem. What was he praying for? We're about to find out. We're going to actually read his prayer And we'll see what he was praying for when ultimately his enemies found him praying and had him thrown into the lion's den. Now, again, it's recorded here in the second half of Daniel, not in the historical narrative of Daniel chapter 6, but still we find out very clearly what Daniel was praying for. Now, this was about eight years after he had received the vision that we studied last week in chapter 8. Now, I know last week was a lot of information. I know last week is a lot of prophecy. I hope you went back and read it for yourself, maybe even logged on and listened to the message again. A lot of information. Today, not so much. We're not even going to deal with prophecy, really. I mean, other than mentioning the the prophecy written in Jeremiah that Daniel was studying. Today, I really want to be about prayer and studying God's Word. Today, I really want us to understand the importance of those things that our character may reflect Christ. Amen? Convince me, amen? Okay, so Daniel's studying the Word of God. What book is he studying? Jeremiah. And specifically, he's studying Jeremiah chapter 25, 11 through 14, and Jeremiah chapter 29, 10 through 14. Uh, So I'm going to read those for you, and then you'll have an idea of what he was reading and why he prayed the way he did. So in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11, we read, God speaks to, or through Jeremiah, this whole country, and and he's in Jerusalem at this time, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I will make it desolate forever. And I will bring upon that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book, and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings, and I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. Now, that was written during the time, or actually, it was was first written before Israel went into captivity. And Jeremiah continued to publish that and communicate that through the various different captivities, of which there were three, ultimately until the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, when Jeremiah and the remaining survivors left, and and they left Israel for Egypt at that point. But in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, a little bit more information, Uh, Daniel is probably aware of this as well, in chapter 10, uh, verse 10 of that chapter, we read, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And then we get to verse 11 which I think everyone here has probably heard before. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. See, we're so familiar with that scripture, and yet we really don't know the context. It's a scripture you can quote 
out of context, it's still true God has plans for us, but in context, it's about this subject that we're dealing with today, the captivity of the Jews at the time of Jeremiah, but really predicting the time when Daniel, in chapter 9, would be praying for this very thing. So Daniel reads those scriptures. He's familiar with them. He's probably read them many times. And he sees the fulfillment, at least the partial fulfillment, of Babylon being judged by Medo-Persia, which he was aware of through various prophecies, and he says, now's the time. And I think that's the wonderful power of prophecy. And I've said this before, when you see things fulfilled, it proves your faith in God. Now, what generally happens is we see the beginnings of fulfillment, but not completely. We don't see everything fulfilled. So what tends to happen is we start to try to predict what's going to happen next. But you can only do that if God has told you in advance what will happen. Now, God told Jeremiah and Daniel read it that they would return to their land. So he could anxiously expect that God would return them to Jerusalem because God said he would. And when God gives us a promise, that promise is yes and amen. So... Think about the heart of Daniel. That's really what I want you to focus in on here. He's studying the book of Jeremiah, and he refers to Jeremiah's writings as scripture. Did you notice that? Called them scripture, even though they were written during his own lifetime. Jeremiah and Daniel were alive at the same time. He recognized Jeremiah as a prophet of the Lord who recorded the word of God. He doesn't necessarily call himself a prophet, but he refers to Jeremiah as a prophet. And the Lord God spoke to Daniel through his word, through Jeremiah, concerning his present circumstances in Babylon, what I guess I'm trying to say is, no matter when the word of God was written, God can speak to you through his word about your present circumstances. Amen. That's the important thing. If you're, if you're not sure of what God is doing in your life, if you're confused about the things that are going on in our world, why aren't you in the scripture? Well, I guess I'm preaching to the choir because you're here this morning in this lovely, air-conditioned, well-lit sanctuary, listening to a sermon from God's Word. So you are studying God's Word. So my guess would be when you leave here today, you'll be encouraged. At least I hope that's the case. You'll be encouraged in worship, in fellowship, in prayer, but also through the study of God's Word. This is the place, not necessarily this church or many good churches, but a good church, a Bible-believing church, is the place that you and I, we need to be on Sunday mornings, maybe even Wednesday evenings, and in God's Word each and every day. Amen? See, I guess what I'm trying to say to you is there's no medication that can fix that perspective once you become bitter and negative. People try. They develop unfortunate habits and try to cope with the world as it is, and so they end up dying from overdoses or getting involved in unhealthy relationships or unhealthy behaviors that destroy their lives. What God would rather you do, quite frankly, is that you seek him. He he has plans. I know the plans I have for you, the Lord says. Plans for good, not for evil. Not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. Amen? See, that's the real message this morning. You can have hope in Christ. You do have a future. Now, there'll be trials, there'll be difficulties. There certainly were in Daniel's life. But there's hope. 
and you can have faith in God. And the, the way you're going to be able to see that, and the best explanation I can use is, back when I was a kid, I remember going to see these 3D movies. For a while, these things were making a resurgence a couple years back. But we'd, we'd see these things, and they had those like cheap paper glasses. Remember those glasses? One was like red and one was green. Remember how ridiculous that was? Okay, and it, it, and it was really, really poor quality. But if you tried to look at the screen without them, you'd get a headache. It was all like blurred and distorted. But you put these funky little glasses on, and, and, and it looked not great, but it looked kind of, you could at least see it. I think the scripture is so much better than those paper 3D glasses. Once you put on the lens of scripture, you're going to see things that are going on in the news. You're going to see things in your world, in your neighborhood, in your country differently. See, I see all the turmoil in our country right now as a good thing. What? Yeah. Why? Because it's a God thing. I've seen this from the beginning. When, when things sort of went south in our government about two years ago, I realized, you know something? God's in control of this. People say, how can you say that? Well, because God is sovereign. That's the theme of the book of Daniel. Amen? But how can you say that? Why? Really? God's not on the throne now because... Depending on how you feel about this, the last election was stolen. Oh, oh, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So God's not in control anymore. Yeah, you see, that's what you sound like because that's, that's really what you're saying. I recognized right away, <laughs> I think God's given them enough rope to hang themselves. They got everything they want and look what they've done with it. Something tells me things are going to change rapidly this fall. And then we got a few people saying, yeah, but they're going to steal the election again. Yeah, okay, okay. Remember Daniel, all right? Stay in the word and pray. God is in control. God is in control, amen? All right, well, here he is studying God's word, hearing from God, and he comes across Daniel, excuse me, Jeremiah's 70-year prophecy. It's truly amazing, this prophecy. It's mentioned a few times in Scripture. They had been in the land uh, for 490 years prior to the 70 years of captivity where they weren't following God. They they were existing as a nation, but they weren't giving their their land a rest every seven years, which according to the law they were supposed to do in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. They had not obeyed God's law concerning the Sabbath rest. So God told them that the land would enjoy a total of 70 Sabbaths during the captivity. It's God's way of bringing judgment, but also correcting their behavior. They weren't trusting God every seventh year. He told them, in the sixth year, you'll gather twice as much and give the land a rest in the seventh year, which is just good agricultural sense. And then in the eighth year, you can plant and and sow again. They they just couldn't trust God with that. The way some people need to work seven days a week because they can't trust God will provide for their needs. The way some people can't trust God with their lives. You realize you're working against yourself when when you do that? Oh, but I make time and a half on Sundays. Yeah, and God can give you a lot more than that. Amen? Now, some people, we understand, have to work on Sunday, but please take a day off once a week, please. That's the the heart of the Sabbath, which was, you know, not made for God, but made for men. It's supposed to be a blessing. Let that speak to you if it needs to. So, Judah would be judged for their refusal to listen to God's word, through the prophets. That's what Jeremiah made clear. This is before it happened. And Jeremiah predicted the final destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon in 586 BC, which Daniel saw happen, but from Babylon. Uh, this prophecy, I, I, he was given by Jeremiah, 
in 605 BC, before it happened, and uh, that was during the, uh, the time that Babylon was attacking Jerusalem and, and about to bring them into captivity. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had already taken many people of Judah captive by that time, and including Daniel. But Jeremiah recounted it later on, about two years prior to Jerusalem's destruction, reminding people, I told you this was going to happen. You see, Jesus did that too. I've told you these things in advance so that when they happen, you will know that God's word is true. You will know that they're true. You can trust God. That's the point of prophecy. If you miss that, you're not really even studying prophecy in a biblical way. If all you're doing is trying to predict the future, you missed it. It's to bring you closer to God and give you a heart for God and his word. And you'll know that you can trust him by faith. Well, Babylon would be judged by God for their national sins as well. You know, Jeremiah dealt with that. We've already talked about how that happened, so I'm not going to go into that in too much detail today. But Judah was encouraged to prepare for a lengthy stay in Babylon, and indeed 70 years is a long time. In fact, I find this interesting. In Jeremiah chapter 25, in the first verse, we're told that Jeremiah actually sent the letter. He sent the letter to the exiled nobility who were living in Babylon. Guess who's among the exiled nobility living in Babylon? Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well, but Daniel. They were being held captive, and Jeremiah writes a letter. Now, what was in that letter? Probably most of or all of the book he had written up to that point. So Daniel had received a copy of the book of Jeremiah. He was able to study it and find faith in God. You have the whole Bible right here. If you brought your Bible with you, and you know at Calvary Chapel, you better bring your Bible with you. We're going to be in it. But if you have a Bible, and I I have several. I have way too many Bibles. Some people in the world don't have a whole Bible. Some people don't have any Bible. But you know what's important? Not, not how many Bibles you have and how many translations you have. It's whether or not you're actually reading it. And here's the thing. What he had, he read. And of course, he was writing a book of the Bible. I don't know if he knew that or not, but I do know this. He was writing a book of the Bible. He was living a book of the Bible, but he was reading a book of the Bible as well. And probably more than just that book. Well, Many of the people had been taken captive in about 597 B.C., and more and more Jews are finding their way to Babylon. But he sends the letter by way of King Zedekiah's courier in about 597. So shortly after Daniel arrived in Babylon, he has this letter and these predictions. And so most of that 70 years, he's waiting for the 70 years to transpire, to happen. And then he's praying that God would fulfill his promise to bring them back. And that's where we find Daniel in chapter 9. He told them they should settle down and make this place their new home. That's why Daniel never tried to get back to Jerusalem. Some people have said, well, with all that power and influence, why didn't he pull a Nehemiah or an Ezra? Why did he go back? Well, God told him not to. Interesting. Would God tell you to stay in a culture that's wicked and idolatrous to influence it for good? I don't know. I know some of you guys have moved to redder states. But, you know... All of us shouldn't leave New Jersey because if we do, it's just going to become bluer until it blows up. So here's the thing. You've got to be where God has called you to be. Where was Jeremiah? In Jerusalem. Where was Daniel? Babylon. Be where God has called you to be. Amen? 
So they should continue living their lives as they would have done in Judah, and their peace and prosperity were now linked with the Babylonian Empire until Babylon was judged. And they should ignore the many false prophets that were predicting things to the contrary. There were many false prophets that said, Jeremiah doesn't know what he's talking about. Things are going to be just fine. See, I'm not telling you things are going to be fine. I'm telling you God is in control. There's a very big difference. Things may get more difficult. I suspect they probably will. But God isn't any less sovereign when things become difficult. Amen? Okay. Now, one of the things that Judah was encouraged to do is to look to the Lord to bring them back and restore them in the land, not to try to make it happen on their own. There were some that tried, they failed. That happened with Jeremiah. A group of people, after Babylon conquered Jerusalem, decided they were going to take the city back, and they ended up fleeing to Egypt with their lives, and they dragged Jeremiah with them. He didn't want to go. They dragged him against his will. And we believe that that's where Jeremiah ultimately died, in Egypt, with a number of people there who, were, who went into exile, not according to God's will. But Daniel's among the exiles that went into exile according to God's will, like Ezekiel, who also did. So the Lord had graciously promised to, to bring them back after the exiles had been in Babylon for 70 years. Daniel looks at his calendar. Hey, it's been almost 70 years, Right? He understood this to be the time that Jerusalem lay in ruins, from 605 to what ultimately would be 536 B.C. Now, he started praying, and we may have prayed even, even earlier, but we know that he prayed here in Daniel 9, shortly after the fall of Babylon. That's about 539 B.C., so we know that for the next three years, he's going to be praying. In fact, he's going to get thrown into the lion's den for praying but he's going to keep praying for God's will to be done among his people in Babylon and that they would return to Jerusalem. That's what he's praying for, and we'll see that as we read the prayer this morning in just a minute. He was still interceding on behalf of Judah three years later. Here's a guy that never tired of praying for God's will according to God's word. Now, the Lord had magnificent plans for his people, and he has magnificent plans for each and every one of us, and I believe magnificent plans for our nation as well. We'll wait and see. But I do know this. These people would have to wait about 60 years for that to happen when Daniel received that letter, when he read Jeremiah's prophecy. They had to wait about 60 more years. Now, this was a specific promise to the Jews of Judah. But the same truth applies to all of God's people. Only he knows exactly what he is planning to do in and through our lives. Amen? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Nor has it entered into the mind of man or the heart of man, the things that God has promised to do for those that love him. So why are you doubting God's good will in and through our lives as his people? I hope you're not. And if you are, I hope you'll stop that this morning. They were given hope and a wonderful plan for the future. And we have an eternal hope. For Judah, his plan included prosperity and not further harm. But that was their promise. I don't know what God's promise will be in terms of the good things he desires to do in and through our lives during these difficult days. But I know they're good because God's plans are good. And I know that ultimately it's not for our harm. And I know that we have a future, and that future is ordained by God. Amen? So this is an encouraging message challenging but encouraging message for us this morning. All right, well, according to verse 3, which we read already, 
He says, so I returned to the Lord God. I just want to point one little thing out. He spent so much time with God that he returned to him, not from being with him. We might say, oh, I returned from being with God. No, I returned to God. The implication, that's where he spent most of his time, with God. Don't miss that. So he re- we read, and he wrote, So I returned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and in ashes. This is a, a man who is in repentance for his nation. This is a man who is praying for God to restore his people. He pleaded with God in prayer and petition, in fasting, in repentance, in sackcloth, ashes. This is the way they dressed and the way they acted when they were crying out to God in repentance for their sins. You see, his study of the scriptures didn't just make him smart or bright, or clever. They motivated him into action. And that action was the study of God's word and prayer on behalf of his people, and specifically repentance. Listen, we don't desire the knowledge of the future as much as the result of this knowledge in our souls. And I'm very careful when we study prophecy to make that point. We're looking for the word of God to affect us, not to try to be able to predict what's going to happen a week from Tuesday. Well, We should be as affected as Daniel as we study the Bible and specifically prophecy. Now, one of the things we know is he prayed toward Jerusalem, where God had promised that he would return them. We read this in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. He prayed toward Jerusalem. He prayed consistently in humility before his God three times a day. Obviously, he believed in the promises of God in his word. No one who prays like that doubts God's word. He gave thanks to his God in the midst of severe persecution and trials, and he never stopped praying for God's deliverance during those 70 years in Babylon. Brothers and sisters, if you've given up on our nation in less than two years, then I just want to encourage you, knock it off. Daniel, now we are going to read his prayer. He begins to pray, and the prayer is so revealing that it's best to just read it really in just kind of two sections and then make a few comments, and then we'll receive communion. I want to point this out in verses 4 through 14, that Daniel confessed to the Lord the sins of the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel. You might be saying, well, Daniel wasn't a sinner. Well, Daniel wasn't perfect, and no, he wasn't guilty of some of these sins. In fact, he suffered the results of the sins of others, but rather than being bitter, he became better. He prayed for them. Look what it says in verses 4 through 14, and I'll read the whole section. Daniel writes, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from, our, from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but... This day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. 
under this whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. I could read that prayer and pray that prayer right now for this nation. There is simply nothing that he prayed for that isn't applicable to our world today. And you might be saying, well, why should I pray for them? They're the sinners. Wait a minute. Have you forgotten the heart of Jesus? You're an intercessor. You're supposed to relate to the people around you. Even if you're not partaker of their sins, yes, you come out and be separate. You're not partaker of their sins. But you are suffering the consequences of their sins. So praying in repentance on their behalf is the appropriate response. Wishing them dead is not. That little line was for me, by the way. Do you understand what I'm saying? Say amen. This is how we need to be praying for our culture, for our nation. We need to be praying like Daniel. He's a man of prayer. And this is how he's praying for his people. And every word of that is true of us. Every time our culture embraces some perverse way of thinking, and there are so many, I don't even want to go there this morning, there's just so many, all I can tell you is we need to pray like this. Rather than having hatred in our heart for people flying a rainbow flag or declaring that our children should be taught to change their gender, we should be praying like this. Those things are wrong, they're perverse, they're evil, yes, but wait a minute. We're covered in shame because of them, yes, as a nation, yes, we are. The answer, though, is prayer. The answer is prayer. If I were in a Pentecostal church, I would have gotten a little bit of a greater response, but I'll, I'll be merciful. So, here's what we got. Praising the great and awesome God who is faithful and loving with all those that love and obey him. Confessing Israel's sinful wickedness, rebellion, and disobedience to God's laws. Confessing Israel's refusal to listen to God's word through his servants, the prophets, and proclaiming the Lord's righteousness. Confessing Israel's shame for their unfaithfulness and sins. Proclaiming the Lord's mercy, forgiveness, and confessing Israel's rebellion and disobedience. Declaring that Israel suffered the consequences of sin and disobedience written in God's word. They were only getting what they deserved. But God is better than that. He confessed that despite these consequences, Israel had not sought the Lord's favor through repentance. Things may have to get so bad that even the White House will get on their knees and cry out to God for help. Don't hold your breath, but we should pray that it happens. He proclaimed the Lord's righteousness in judgment and confessed Israel's refusal to obey him. This is Daniel's heart. And then he goes on to pray in verses 15 through 19. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, O God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. 
We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. If you wondered how we should be praying at this time, or even what we should be doing during these dark days, you have your answer. God has spoken. Here Daniel petitioned the Lord to return the people of Israel to Jerusalem to restore the city and its sanctuary. I pray that God would restore our great nation on this holiday weekend that we celebrate our independence. Let's also celebrate our dependence upon God. He praised the Lord who delivered Israel from the bondage of Egypt, confessed their sins as well, appealed to the Lord's righteousness to turn away his anger and his wrath from their city, the city of Jerusalem, acknowledging that Israel's sins had brought the Lord's judgment on Jerusalem and on them. There's a reason why nations suffer at the hand of God. He appealed to the Lord to hear his prayers, to look with favor on his desolate sanctuary and city, and he prayed not because of Israel's righteousness, but because of the Lord's great mercy. Finally, he prayed for the Lord to hear his prayers, forgive Israel's sins, and act on their behalf, and to do so without delay. And I'll pray along with John, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. As we prepare to receive communion, the worship team comes up. May the Lord give us this type of heart for our people as a nation and the church as well. May God give us faith and hope and instill in us the truth that God is in control. Amen? That is the theme of this book. And may it be the surrender of our heart to God to trust him in all things. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And now as we receive communion, may we receive from you an assurance that you are in control, that you're in control of all things, and that for your glory you are working in our nation, in our culture, and in our lives, and in our church, that you would receive all the glory in the midst of dark times. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.